Sales Tuners, Episode 30, Raquel Richardson, President at Net4. You still have to meet them where they are. You still have to figure out how your solution best fits in their portfolio of what they're selling and doing. And you have to figure out how to incentivize them and motivate them in a way that makes them want to work with you. This is Sales Tuners with Jim Brown. The only weekly show where we talk about the behaviors, attitudes, and techniques that get sales reps and entrepreneurs to grow their revenue from $1 million to more than $10 million in just two years. All I do is win, 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 no matter what. Got money on my mind, I can never get enough. And every time I step up in the building, everybody hands go up. It's time, it's time, it's time. It's Sales Sooner's time. I'm Jim Brown, your host, and our weekly inspiration comes from Sarah Bonbrathnuck, who said, playing it safe is the riskiest choice you can ever make. Joining me today is Raquel Richardson, president at Net4, an outsourced solution focused on creating a seamless client support process while removing the burden for tier one IT help desk. After owning and running her own company for 14 years, Raquel shifted her focus toward building channel sales opportunities and aligning the focus of national account teams. Raquel sits on the board for Big Brothers, Big Sisters, and WFYI, and is also the proud owner of one loud and obnoxious laugh. Before we dive in, I want to say a quick thank you to our sponsors. A big thanks goes out to the team at Octa for helping make this podcast possible. We all know that a better sales process creates a better buying experience, and Octave is transforming the way sales documents are created, distributed, and tracked. Check out a demo at Octave.com. That's O-C-T-I-V.com. All right. Make sure you stick around until the end where I'll give my recap and top takeaways. You can also check out all the links and show notes at salestuners.com slash 30. But now let's get to the conversation where Raquel gives props to her Butler Bulldogs who had just made the Sweet 16 at the time of our recording. Unfortunately, they did fall to North Carolina last week. So no Elite Eight, no Final Four for the Bulldogs. Well, what you might have missed in that intro is that I went to Butler University and we just made the Sweet 16 again. Go dogs. So there's that. Um, and then what I'm passionate about not at work. Uh, right now, I'm into running. So after a couple years of, of dabbling in it, I got serious last year. I ran my first half marathon and I finally call myself a runner. So that's been good. Thank you so much for that, Raquel. We're not going to talk too much about basketball today, but let's kind of get into Uh, The reason why we're here today. So in this show, as you know, we talk about the behaviors, attitudes, and techniques that have led to your success. So the first thing is I want to talk about your sales process today, right? So tell me what is Net4 and and, and how does someone buy from you today? Well, uh, Net4 is a technology company. And in the tech world, we kind of have four different levels of of support. And we live in that tier one, uh, sometimes depending on the service offering tier two. So um, a lot of companies are getting out of that and we do it really well. So um, that's really opened up the door for us selling uh, in a channel. So our process probably looks a little different than than most people that you talk with. And my particular process is is pretty disappointing. Um, so um, where I have, um, where I lean on more is, is my experience. I'm kind of one of those in, at my age, the experience trumps the process. Um, I'm sure people won't really agree with that so much on, on your pro- on your podcast, but um, that's just where I am. And as a person, I'm also co-selling in the channel or I'm helping people be successful in the channel. So it's a really different type of, of experience from my seat. 
Interesting. We're, we're going to dive into that. But before we do, so let's go way back, right? How did you even get into sales, Raquel? So yeah, way back for me is almost 20 years ago. I was in the sales training and advice team of Charles Schwab. And at the time, what we did as a team, we provided all the content and training to the brokers and the branches. So um, we hired some of the best salespeople in the country. And I had no idea at the time that those techniques and programs that we ran would be my start in sales. Interesting. So what were some of the like early challenges that you were you were having to overcome? In my in my in the Schwab days? Yeah. Well, actually, the, just getting my head around sales because I was so new, right? So, um, and then it became all about the questioning. This was 20 years ago, right? So, salespeople at the time needed to get really good at understanding and um, ask a lot of questions. I don't know that I I think that's changed much today, but for me, being the newbie in the room, that was just huge. Um, so we had these these exercises where um, an individual would have to ask all these questions, and the way that we wrote the content was that um, you know oh somebody's in the in the park and they're with their dog, but you had to ask a lot of questions because when I responded I would say something about being with my little one or oh it's it's a nice day where I am and if you didn't ask specific questions you could make the assumption that I was with my kid instead of with my dog so it's just like zoning in on very specific getting clarity about every single answer and not making any assumptions yeah that's interesting so I, were, were you actually in sales at that point or were you more of like sales enablement creating the content for salespeople because I, I I'm I'm loving that differentiation yeah, I was more sales enablement in that role and really took how I framed all the rest of my career because even in marketing, while I, I definitely am known for what I do in marketing, it's always been with a bend for a sales enablement um, because I, I feel like marketing has to get you closer to closing a deal or it's not very good marketing. So um, it's, it, it was all about, um, in those early days, helping with the content and putting together um, a learning framework that helped people get better at selling. So what, what did you do when someone would come back to you and say, Hey, Raquel, this content just doesn't work. It's, it's, it's junk. You don't actually understand what I'm dealing with on, on a day-to-day basis. Well, give me some ideas of, of the feedback or how would you uh, process that? Well, luckily I didn't have that in that, in that regard. Um, but because we did a lot of focus groups and, um, you can imagine in a company like Schwab, how you, you test and retest and play things out. Um, and of course, role playing and, and testing everything in a little bit of a incubator before you put it out there. Um, again, it's kind of funny as I'm listening to myself tell you this, because you wouldn't really change how you go about that today, even though I did that 20 years ago. Well, and, and I think honestly, that's the power of a lot of the stuff that we do talk about on the show, because most people that, that I found that you know, I deal with a lot of sales reps on a daily basis, but they don't have a process. And just having a process is the thing that's going to actually lead them to success. But everyone thinks there's some magical things they need to say or some kind of ninja move that they uh, are able to do at the end of a, a sales cycle to remove the wallet from their prospect and take the money out. And it's just not the case. It is this basic fundamental stuff that that you're talking about. And you said it was 20 years ago, but that's the stuff that does lead to success. So, you know, you um, you you quickly kind of moved on from Schwab and you started your own business. And at that point, you're you're a selling president, right? So what what does what does that mean? What does that look like, uh, or what did it look like in your world? 
That those were some of the the times in my career where I had the most head trash um, because I felt like no matter where I was and what I was doing, I felt like I was selling myself. Even after I built a team, you, you still felt like you know, are they buying Raquel or are they buying Silver Square? Um, now, eventually, I did work really hard at getting referrals to um, you know call Silver Square instead of call Raquel, but you know it was about me so much that that was that was by far the biggest head trash of my selling career. And what were some of the ways that you did overcome that? You, you said toward the end, you, you finally were able to, but wh- talk, walk me through that. Well, I don't know that I ever really achieved it because when I finally did, um, you know, move on to my next role, I was like, ah, and selling got so much easier after that because I could kind of remove myself from it. Um, so I think, you know, every once in a while there would be a conversation where I felt like it was one of those like, oh, they just didn't like me. Um, and probably every salesperson has felt that at some point. Um, but you bounce back, right? I mean, that's kind of, that's what we all do in this role. You bounce back. And if you don't, then you're not going to be successful. So uh, I've, I've experienced this firsthand and that's, I want to dive into it. So you said that once you moved on into, uh, you know, you, you sold your agency and you went on to uh, build a channel, but you said you were able to remove yourself from it, right? They were no longer buying Raquel. They were buying the company's products. What was that, that shift kind of in your mindset? Why did it change? Well, it was probably a few conversations in before I realized, wow, this is so much easier on this side. And, um, I'm a lot more bold in what I'll say, um, because I did really believe in the product. Not that I wasn't believing in myself. I mean, you know, like that's completely ridiculous. Um, but, but I had more of a struggle saying I'm fabulous and I'm the best thing that you're ever gonna, (laughs) that you're ever going to work with versus no, no, this product is awesome. And it is the best thing. Um, so I could kind of project that over to uh, the service we were offering or the product we were selling instead of acting like it was me. Um, so that just made it easier for me. So it totally was just like a personal, uh, projection of, of, of confidence versus, I'm, I'm representing a product that I know can do the work. Is that accurate? Right. Absolutely. Gotcha. So when you, when you made that switch, you got into more of channel sales. Now you talked about at the beginning of the show, but what does that actually mean? What is channel sales? So in my world specifically, because some people will define this differently, it means that I go find a partner um, and for me, a master agency is a great partner or some of the uh, VARs, value added resellers are some good partners or even MSPs, uh, managed service providers are good partners. So I'm going to build my uh, relationship with those companies and the owners and um, reps in those companies and then they sell our offerings. So I'm, it's, it's going through that channel or removing yourself one step, maybe even two, depending on what, you know, their sales process looks like before you can actually close a deal. Interesting. So what does that, um, I, what does that look like? How do you, is, is that a sales process? Do you have to lead them through a sales cycle? Is it just education? How do you, how do you sign up a new you know, partner? Well, it's a little of all the above. You you still have to meet them where they are. You still have to figure out how your solution best fits in their portfolio of what they're selling and doing. Um, and you have to figure out how to incentivize them and motivate them in a way that makes them want to work with you. Um, so there are still some parallels, but um, it's a little different by the time you, you get to the end game. So, um, for example, I spend a, 
a fair amount of time in Denver. And one of the uh, partners I have out there, I recently took them all through some training. So I only focused on one of our services. I ran them through um, a little bit about what that service was. I put on there some scenarios that we have closed to date. So I kind of, you know, showed some logos of, of what has closed from their peers because there's, you know, internally when you have, you know, 20 people selling for you in one company, there's some competition in there. And I always want to play that up a little bit. But it also helps say, hey, you know, Sandy over here sold this deal for me and this is how it went down. And here's the commission she made off of it. And then the other people in the room are like, oh, well, if Sandy did that, this person comes to mind and I can sell that, too. So um, that was part of the training. And then the biggest part of the training is helping them think about, you know, here are some ideal prospects for you and here are some conversation starters, which going back, you know, to those 20 years and, and my background in writing, helping people understand how to start those conversations to talk about what I want them to talk about is pretty different in terms of um, direct selling to selling in the channel. So I'm basically enabling them to go talk about us. So help me better understand that, right? You, you, I just heard you say that you give them prospects of people they might call on and the conversation starters of how to even open up those doors. Why wouldn't you just go do that yourself? So um, at our company, the sales team is me. Um, and we don't, we've decided just strategically that this is, we don't want to hire more salespeople. We want to go to organizations that can and do sell. So like that's their whole thing. They only sell. Um, so they're representing um, maybe anywhere from five to 25 more companies. They have a, a book of business and they can sell all of those things into those companies. Um, so when I say I'm giving them prospects, sometimes I'm literally helping, helping them find prospects. Um, I've certainly done that too with a couple people in Denver where we've had some accounts here and I want to go pitch them in, in the Colorado space. Um, but it's, it's really more, um, industry wide here, here are some, um, strengths and differentiators for some of these type of companies. Um, and then I help them kind of think about, you know, oh, this, I know that person there. I know this person there. And I sit down with them one-on-one -on -one and try and help them build a prospect list. So while you probably heard that I'm literally giving them 10 targets, I, I'm, I may be, but I'm also helping them build their own prospect list. Okay. All right. So now as, as president of the company, sales isn't your only role. You may be the only salesperson, but sales isn't your only, only role. So how, how do you open up new opportunities with these partners? How do you, how do you find new ones? So some of it, um, I look at what we are doing, um, who else is selling and what they've closed, what needs they're meeting in the marketplace, what pains they're coming up with. Um, and one of the things I've learned from uh, a guy who helped me um, work in the channel in my previous role, um, we, we send out what he calls and what I still call a win wire. So in that win wire, then I push that out as soon as I can based on um, what we just closed the deal on. And that helps all the other reps kind of see what we're selling, what conversations we're having. And then that, it literally does help them think of somebody and then they make a call. Um, I also still enable. I want, I want, hold on, real quick. I, I'm, okay. I'm intrigued by this. So, <laughs> what is this win wire? I, I wrote it down, but I want to better understand it. What does that mean? So, let's go back to, to Sandy as the example. Sandy sells something. Um, so, field services is something we do really well. 
um, in the field, we'll go help somebody. Um, it's kind of like remote tech hands at any location across the United States. So um, Sandy closes a deal with um, her client who has 13 locations across the United States that she wants to close. Now, that was really different because you usually usually think about somebody making a change or opening a new location. So I loved that, that they called and said, hey, I have somebody who wants to close these 13 locations. Um, so we went in, scheduled it, closed everything down within 24 hours and, you know, used a new example of, of a deal that closed um, in my partner space to show as an example, hey, do you know anyone who wants to close a location or is downsizing or they've decided to get out of the commercial space and send uh, their employees home? So, you know, just a new way to think about um, most people aren't thinking about that kind of deal. So when I put the wind wire together, which basically looks like an example of what happened, who the rep was and what their commission was um, and what service they bought, they used from net for. I put that out real quick and then that gets, you know, gets their mind going a little bit. So you put that out into the other reps at that specific partner. You don't, you don't send that out to other prospective partners. Correct. I use that in the partner. Now I certainly use that story other places, Okay. but yeah, the wind wire stays within the companies. I'm, I'm intrigued by this. So when I was at Oracle a few years ago, they would do something similar um, and they would do it on the on the loss side as well. And I think the the loss wire, maybe I don't know what they called it, but like what they did on the loss side was just <laughs> as valuable. A better name yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. But <laughs> but it was interesting to be able to read that to say, OK, you know, we just sold this product into this type of company. Here was the scenario and the reason why they bought. Here was the uh, deal cycle. Here was the deal length. Here was the actual reasons why they bought. And, and, but then again, the opposite of that is say, here's why we lost, here's who we lost to, here's the features that they needed we didn't have or something along those lines. And so I see a lot of power in that. Um, so I'm intrigued that, that, uh, you, you use that to motivate the rest of the people that are inside that partner agency that you have. Absolutely. I mean, every time you tell someone a new deal, they, you can just watch them. I mean, I've done this in person as well, where I start telling some stories like this. You watch them start clicking through their brain of who they know that is going to move offices and need something closed down, who they know that has 13 locations. I mean, they just start building those parallels really quickly. And then before you know it, you see them write down some names. And then in a training session, sure enough, a hand will go up. Well, do you do this? You know, because they've landed on somebody that they think might be a prospect and they want me to kind of help qualify that before they go call. So it's it's really powerful. I truly am uh, fascinated by that. I think there's a huge opportunity because, I mean, that's what gets things to be scalable and repeatable. And so even as I'm thinking about it, right, like that's the thing that if we can find that and we have one case study around it, now we can just go out and, as you said, who are 13 other people or 15 other people who have a very similar um, problem that we can go tell them the story and at least drum up the the first meeting? Yeah, yeah, Absolutely. I like that a lot. So and I do keep it really simple. I literally just send it out in an email. I mean, there's nothing fancy. I don't have any design to it. It's it's really straightforward. It's all about the deal. And you know, the rep who sold it also loves it because you know they're making a, a celebration lap around the office that day. You know, they, they're like so it, it gives them some some much due props and a thank you for for selling our service. So they like it too. Yeah, a little little kudos to them. So how do you? Uh, how do you uncover the pain though in, in these uh, partners that you have? How do you, 
you talked about the wind wire, but how do you actually go out and see this enablement content to say, hey, here's a scenario, here's a scenario, here's a, a problem that might be asked, or here's a question, an objection. How do you start to seed those with, uh, with new opportunities? Well, so in a case right now, I, I'm working with um, one of my partners who has, they've done, they've closed about four or five deals with us and they, they're now bringing larger prospects to the table for me. Um, and in this case, I'm going to go out to Denver and co-sell with them so I can, you know, be across the table, ask my questions, try and figure out really, you know, what is your challenge and what is your pain? Um, I think their pain is that they're, you know, paying way too much, which I don't love that it's going to be about money. So I'm going to have to find out some other challenges on there too. Um, but that, this is the ideal win, 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 if you will, where all three of us can be at the table together. All three of us can be asking questions and, and getting really clear about what we're going to do together and what's not going to be a fit. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. I, I like it when they bring me in on some of these larger deals and we can kind of co-sell together. So I guess I'm just kind of confused by that idea of co-selling at, at that point. Uh, do they get paid less commission or, or how does that work? Cause I, I would feel like if they're bringing you in to close it, what was, what was the point? <laughs> no, they, they don't get any, any, uh, any different. Um, we still all win. Um, I like coming into those because a, it is a bigger deal and they, it's, it's, this company has like 350 locations across the United States. So they're going to want to meet me anyway. Right. It's a little different than, um, just turning something over to somebody that, um, just had a project overnight, like my 13 location example. Um, and they're going to make a, if they're going to make this jump, how are they going to transition that? Um, what are the steps involved? So it's, it's just got a lot more dynamic to it that um, with me going and helping them sell this and close this deal. Like I said, I just think everybody wins in that scenario. Got it. Got it. So what are some of the challenges, Raquel, of, of this process, channel sales versus that direct sale? As, as the president of the company, what do you see? What do you wish you had more control over? Or, you know, just, just what's the difference? Well, I'll take that same one I'm excited about. If I knew that um, this rep was going to have this conversation with this client and then called me the next day and said, yeah, we didn't get it. Hmm. And I started asking why. And I learned and I said, oh, well, you could have asked this or, or did you mention this? And they didn't. Then, you know, you're just sitting there going, oh, darn, I should have went with you. Um, so I've learned based on my experience in the channel that, you know, there, there are ones that you let them tackle on their own. And there are ones like this one that you do want to have a seat at the table so you can help everybody win with the deal. Interesting. Interesting. So I guess continue on with that. Like how, how do you uh, coach them? Is that what that win wire is kind of about or how do you coach them through that, that difficulty? Yeah. So some of them, sometimes when it is price, you want to, um, so in one example, we quoted um, the same deal with three different reps within two weeks. We lost all three. Hmm. And so I called all three of them and I said, can you give me feedback? And all three of them told me it was price. So um, I went back to our team and said, okay, I know we don't want to do this all the time, but I've got the same feedback from three people that I lost you know, six figures over the last two weeks. Can we do something about this price? Well, it turns out we could. And so then, you know, that's another phone call back to all of them. Thanks for the feedback. We're going to lower the price. And in the future, don't, 
if it's, you know, something this close, because one of them was like a thousand dollar difference. Wow. Those are just good conversations and good learning for all of us to build those relationships and help them understand. Um, one of them was joking. He's like, so what I've learned is Raquel doesn't like to lose. And I was like, well, well no, <laughs> but you know, I'm not going to give something away. But at the same time, if we can do a little bit with the price to uh, invest in that relationship, I am absolutely willing to do that. Yeah, that might be some foreshadowing for a question I'll ask later. But um, <laughs> so since you've gotten to work with so many uh, sales reps at, in this channel, right? So so you're built as you build it out. What is the most common thing you've seen one of these reps do to lose control of, of the sales process? Um, so a lot of uh, the reps that I deal with have a book of business. And I think the, the biggest challenge I watch them um, try to weave through is they get complacent. Um, they have too much confidence in that book of business. And, you know, client A has been client A for 10 years. They're not going anywhere. So it doesn't matter if I, you know, I'm three days late on the quote or I'm a week late in following up or, you know, whatever, whatever the, the slip was, that is a big challenge because, I can tell pretty quickly who's going to be a good partner with me and who's not based on, you know, their pace, what they're asking me. Um, you know, those, those are the biggest hiccups I can see from somebody who just gets too complacent and too comfortable with, with their book of business. That makes a lot of sense. Let's, let's kind of shift that to, to you. I can't imagine it's always been rainbows and butterflies for you, Raquel. What's, what are some of the things that you've, you've uh, struggled with or, or has been some of your failures? Well, my strength is my weakness, like most people. Um, and that failure has been with people. Um, my strength is people. <laughs> and definitely a lot of the people that got me to where I am today um, and helped me see some of the, my blind spots and awareness. But that also helps me see what my failure has been. So I am a pretty fast mover. Um, walk fast, talk fast. I've been trying to slow down for you on this podcast. Um, but I have this tendency that I'm, I may be finally learning at, at my wise age <laughs> that I have to slow down for people. Um, I have to let them, um, you know, get their head around what I'm doing, um, where I'd like to go, um, and just, and just work at their pace sometimes instead of my own. Um, I've definitely lost deals and, um, probably, well, I know damaged relationships that I wish I hadn't because I've plowed through things so quickly. So, um, it's definitely a weakness of mine that I still work on today. You've said to me before, you don't necessarily give people the processing pace that they need. And, and I thought that was an interesting, uh, comment. Oh yeah. Um, I, when, <laughs> when someone's talking to me, I'm already like finishing their next sentences and know where things are going. Um, and, and that's really bad, right? Cause one, I'm, I might be making a, a poor assumption and two, I'm maybe probably not even listening as well as I should be. So it's, it's just a bad habit that I've, I've got some awareness on over the, the years that I now know not to fall into those traps. Um, but I didn't always know that. So, you know, some failures come with, with being that kind of personality. And as you said, at your wise age now, you're starting to, to overcome those <laughs> challenges. So, uh, Raquel, we're going to take a quick break. and we come back, it's going to be time for the money round. So you don't go away. And Sales Sooners, you don't go either. We'll be right back. 
Sales Tuners, Octave has built a sales productivity platform that streamlines the workflow for creating and managing your sales documents. Everything from presentations and quotes to all of your proposals and contracts. They can pull data from your CRM, CPQ, and ERP systems, saving you time and accelerating each sales opportunity. Octave has been around since 2010 and now serves more than 400 organizations. I'm talking global enterprises, guys, like GE and Siemens, national brands like Angie's List and FedEx Office, and even industry innovators like Double Dutch and Lindemood Bell. You've got to check them out. Go to Octave.com. That's O-C-T-I-V.com to learn more. And hey, during your demo, be sure to tell them you heard about them on the Sales Tuners podcast. We're back and it's time for the money round. Raquel, are you ready for the money round? I am. What's the one thing that has contributed most to your transformation from normal to exceptional? Making myself get comfortable on the phone. I am not a, uh, a phone person. I hate the phone. Um, I don't also, I don't love email either. And I know you cannot build relationships on email. So um, especially, you know, selling with all the reps that I do, most of the work I'm doing currently is out of state. So I have to get on the phone um, and I have to be confident and comfortable on the phone. Got it. If you were to start over today in sales, what would you tell your 22 year old self to spend the next 30 days doing? Oh, I'd probably tell my 30 year old self a lot, but um, listen to my gut. Got it. Got it. Which phrase describes you best and why I love to win or I hate to lose? I am one of those I love to win people. Um, in the channel, I get to help others win too. So it's almost like I get to you know, have great double greatness. Um, I also don't look at things as like losing. I look at it as not being a fit. Um, so I just, I don't even really look at the losing part. Interesting. Raquel, what's a book that you've read multiple times or always find yourself recommending to others? The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield is probably by far one of the books I've uh, recommended the most. It's not a sales book necessarily, but it's about pressing through those those blocks that are holding you back. It has more of a creative bend, but it definitely will work in sales. Sales Tuners, if you'd like to check out Raquel's suggestion of The War of Art, head on over to salestuners.com slash book, and there you can sign up for a free 30-day trial of Audible and browse their over 150,000 titles. Again, that's salestuners.com slash book. Raquel, what's something that you believe that nearly no one agrees with you on? Karma. What do you mean? <laughs> karma and sales. So I believe that if you help somebody that comes back around and I absolutely think that works in sales. So for me, uh, if I do something that I'm going to deem successful as a salesperson, it could be that I'm just helping them make a connection or I'm doing something for them that was that was helping them be successful. It doesn't have to involve, involve um, cash or, or closing a deal financially. Yeah. So yeah, I, I love that. I love that. Uh, what's the, the biggest piece of advice that you have for all the sales tuners out there grinding today? Well, if they're really grinding, I'm going to say they need to go leave work right now. <laughs> work in downtime a lot. Um, when you're that much of a grinder, you're going to kill yourself and, and go overboard and you don't want to do that. I feel like that might be your wise age uh, coming out a little bit there. So I'm going to get you out of here on this one, uh, Raquel. What's the, or how could someone find you or connect with you if they wanted to after the show? I'm definitely most social on Twitter and my handle is at SilverSquare. Very good. Raquel, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. This was fun. 
Raquel is the real deal. The things I've learned from her simply by watching her career from afar have been numerous. And she wasn't lying about that whole talking and moving fast thing. I've had several conversations with her where she completed my sentences and thoughts and gave me the solution to challenges I didn't completely know how to articulate myself. Let's get to my top takeaways. Number one, remember, it's not about you. Hearing no in sales is a given, but that doesn't make it any less trying. Regardless of the circumstances surrounding exactly how you were shot down, there's no more important personality strength than your ability to bounce back. Sales becomes a lot easier when you remove that personal status from the sales process. And remember one thing, it's not about you. Number two, document and share what works. Raquel brought up the concept of a win wire, but what could you do for all the closed one or even the closed loss deals at your company? Before a case study is even relevant, how could you capture the details of why a customer bought from you? What was the business situation? What, are the, what were they struggling with? Were they replacing anything? Did they pick you over another solution? What was the size of the deal? Capturing these details, win or lose, and sharing them with your team may spark some unforeseen opportunities. And number three, don't make assumptions. I believe the single biggest challenge most salespeople have is their inability or unwillingness to listen. More often than not, I find that when they are quiet, all they're really doing is waiting for their next turn to talk. And doing this forces you to start making assumptions and disregarding the chance to gain real clarity in the situation. Both of these can be detrimental to your sales cycle. That's it. Thank you so much for listening. Next Tuesday, you'll hear from Steve Richard, CRO at ExecVision. He's founded three different companies specifically aimed at helping sales teams be more successful. And in our conversation, he talked a lot about reviewing your sales calls, just like a pro athlete would break down game film. You'll definitely want to hear him out. If you have any questions you'd like me to ask our guests, please tweet at me at SalesTuners or shoot me an email, jim at SalesTuners.com. Be sure to sign up for our email newsletter where we send out expanded content and previews of upcoming guests. All right. I hope to see you next week. Until then, let's make it rain. Thanks for listening to Sales Tuners. Stay up to date at www.salestuners.com. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. And they stay